Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Well, for the last several weeks, we have been reading from Leviticus, and Ryan has pointed out to me a thing that I knew to be true, that every time I've gotten up to read the scripture, I have said, our first reading today is from Leviticus, in a way that connotes a bit of surprise or apprehension. See, there's a lot in Leviticus that I have a hard time reading, and it's not generally the go-to book for most people who are like, I'm going to read the Bible. But I've been really captivated by these passages that we've been reading about Jubilee and the importance of that that continues on into the New Testament. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to listen to the Leviticus passage (laughs) a little bit differently. I'm going to invite you to listen with your whole body. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And as you hear me reading, I want you to visualize the words you are hearing from this 25th chapter of Leviticus. The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, once you enter the land that I am giving you, the land must celebrate a Sabbath rest to the Lord. You will plant your fields for six years and prune your vineyards and gather their crops for six years. But in the seventh year, the land will have a special Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You must not plant your fields or prune your vineyards. It will be a year of special rest for the land. Whatever the land produces during its Sabbath will be your food, as well as for your livestock and for the wild animals in your land. All of the land's produce can be eaten. The land will give its fruit so that you can eat your fill and live securely on it. Suppose, you ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we don't plant or gather our crops then? I will send my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will make enough produce for three years. You can plant again in the eighth year and eat food from the previous year's produce until the ninth year. Until its produce comes, you will eat the food from the previous year. The land must not be permanently sold because the land is mine. You are just immigrants and foreign guests of mine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The land is mine, says the Lord. You are my guests. In the book of Leviticus, there is a progression of instructions surrounding the Sabbath that starts with celebrating the Sabbath every seventh day, and then it moves to celebrating a Sabbath year for the land every seven years, and then on to the biggest celebration of Sabbath, the Jubilee, taking place every 50 years and being even more comprehensive in its instructions on rest and reconciliation. In these instructions, the reader is reminded that the Israelites, and on into the future, we, the readers, do not own this land. God does. And to live on it is a gift that we must tend. 
and also a gift that we are grand recipients of. Last summer, I heard a series of lectures from the Reverend Dr. Raymond Eldred, a husband, father, and grandfather who is status Cree from Swan River Band Treaty 8 and is ordained with the Anglican Church of Canada. He is also the director of the Indigenous Studies Program at the Vancouver School of Theology, whose mission is to partner with the Indigenous Church around theological education. The refrain that he repeated over the course of several days throughout his lectures was, heal the land, heal the people. Heal the people, heal the land. He grounded this by explaining the land carries us. A person can only possess what they carry on the back. So how could you own the land? The land owns us. The land is mine, says the Lord. You are my guests. So with all of that in mind, and with the images that you just envisioned for the Leviticus text, we're now going to read our second text from the Gospel of Luke, the same one that we've been reading the last several weeks. And the kids who are in the room that have been in weed time lately, you've already heard the version of this text that we're going to read. It comes from the First Nations version, an indigenous translation of the New Testament. This translation, as it says in the introduction, was birthed out of a desire to provide an English Bible that connects in a culturally relevant way to the traditional heart languages of over six million English-speaking First Nations people of North America. It is a retelling of Creator's story from the scriptures, attempting to follow the tradition of the storyteller of our oral cultures. One of the things that you'll notice when we read this story is the naming of people and places. As the translators write, we decided to follow our native naming traditions and use the meaning of names for persons and places in this great story. In the written text, if you're looking at it, when a person or place is named, the standard English version of the name is placed in parentheses next to it to aid in the reader's understanding, but not to interrupt the flow of the story. So this morning, I hope that we can hear and experience this scripture anew. And so I need you to help me tell the story. We're going to do what's called echo storytelling, where I will read and embody the words, and then I'm going to invite you to echo that back. Okay, so loosen up a little bit. Are we ready? On one of these days of resting, we're going to start again, because I only saw about four people do it back to me. I really, I really want you to participate. Ready? On one of these days of resting, Creator sets free Jesus, returned to his boyhood home in Seed Planter Village, Nazareth. As was his tradition, he entered the gathering house and stood up to read from the ancient sacred teachings. The headman handed him the scroll with the words from the prophet, Creator will help us. Isaiah. 
he opened the scroll and began to read. The spirit of creator has come to rest on me. He has chosen me to tell the good story to the ones who are poor. He has sent me to mend broken hearts, to tell prisoners they've been set free, to make the blind see again, and to lift up the ones who have been pushed down, to make it known the Creator's year of setting free has come at last. He rolled up the scroll, returned it to the headman, and sat down. All eyes were fixed on him, wondering what he would say. Today, these words you have heard have found their full meaning. You all are wonderful storytellers. Thank you. And now you may stop echoing after me. I knew, I knew someone was going to do that. Well, thank you for helping me tell this story, a story in which Creator sets free, Jesus, clearly says why he has come into the world, to tell the good story, to mend broken hearts, to set people free, to announce the Creator's year of setting free, the Jubilee. Heal the land, heal the people. Heal the people, heal the land. Now, for the kids in the room who have worship bags, you may have noticed an envelope with instructions on it, they say, do not open until instructed. <laughs> now is the time. And if you are a kid or a youth who did not get an envelope and you would like one, there are some more worship bags there and Ryan has some more envelopes and some crayons for you. So he'll come down and you can just get what you need from him. They're postcards. So inside these envelopes are blank postcards and notes that I'm hoping you all will spend some time decorating this morning. I'm hoping that you'll take the story that we all just told together as inspiration and create some images of good news, of mending broken hearts, of Sabbath rest, and of jubilee. And then during lunch, I hope you'll bring those cards to lunch because I'm hoping that the whole congregation, we can all write notes of encouragement on the back of them, and I'll tell you more about that later. So heal the land, heal the people, heal the people, heal the land. Cole Arthur Riley, in her incredible book, This Here Flesh, writes, Isn't it something that in Genesis, God made a home for things before God made the thing? Not the fish first, but the sea. Not the bird first, but the sky. Not the human first, but the garden. I like to think of God hunched over in the garden, fingernails hugging the brown soil, mighty hands cradling mud like it's the last flame in a windstorm. A God who says, not of my own womb, but of thus here dust, I will make you. Place, she writes, has always been the thing that made us. We cannot escape being formed by it. 
We are indeed formed by the places we live and the land that we are attached to. When we first moved to Cleveland a few years ago, I started noticing that wherever we went, there were always people wearing t-shirts or sweatshirts or hats, clearly marking them as being from Cleveland, supporting Cleveland sports teams and being darn proud of it. <laughs> within the first, you know it's true. And within the first month, I bought everyone in my family a shirt like this just so that we would fit in. Max got one I think he's still wearing today that spells out Ohio in sign language. And Oliver got one that had a picture of the lake on it and it said, no mistake here. <laughs> so it was official. We now lived in Ohio and more precisely, the land. While that understanding of the land is real for Clevelanders, as city dwellers and suburbanites, it can be hard for us to relate to the commands that the Israelites received from God about their fields. I don't know the first thing about planting a crop that will feed my entire family or provide resources for their care. Sure, we have some grow lights at home and we have a small plot for a vegetable garden out back, but ask me just how many tomatoes we ate from that plot last summer. Not all that many, or the ratio of aphids to the number of leaves on my kale plant, real high. Just extra protein. Now I know that many of you are much more successful at gardening than my family has been, but overall our context is not an agrarian one. In Leviticus though, the land is not just an inanimate object that folks walk on or nickna the nickname of a scrappy city trying to make a comeback. It's another character in the story. Like humans, much of its alleged value comes from what it produces. And just like the humans, in order to be productive, it needs to rest. When the land works really hard for really long, its nutrients are depleted, and its ability to support life is diminished. It needs a break. It needs time to rest, time to grow regardless of the production previously expected of it. But as a human, to give your land and your livelihood the chance to rest can be a really scary thing. What will others think? I mean, if you're a farmer and you take a year off from farming, your fields will probably become noticeably full of weeds. And in a production-oriented society, people might see that and question your work ethic. What are you doing all day while those weeds are growing? And on top of that, if you take a rest from farming to let the land rest, how will your needs be provided for? Starting to sound a bit like a modern day metaphor of why we find it hard to rest, isn't it? Well, let's turn back to Cole Arthur Riley for some wisdom. She writes, I'm told the most frequent command from God in the Bible is do not fear. Some have interpreted this as an indictment on those who are afraid, as if to say fear signifies a less robust faith. This offends me, she says. God is not criticizing us for being afraid in a world haunted by so many terrors and traumas. I don't hear, don't be afraid. I hear, don't be afraid, and hope that it is not a command not to fear, but rather the nurturing voice of a God drawing near to our trembling. I hear these words and imagine God in all tenderness cradling her creation against her breast. God, drawing near to our trembling, saying, suppose you ask, what will we eat 
in the seventh year, if we don't plant or gather our crops then, I will send my blessing. I will send my blessing. Heal the land, heal the people. Heal the people, heal the land. Friends, we have forgotten that we are guests on God's land. We have forgotten our relationship with God is one in which God will provide. We have forgotten that God's creation is one of abundance and instead believed the serpent's lies of scarcity. And in so doing, we have led ourselves and our earth, the very land and water and air and organisms we depend on, right into ruin. We are exhausted. The land is exhausted. And we're scared. Heal the land, heal the people seems nearly impossible. But in these words, a voice whispers to us that all is not lost. And that voice, like the one in the 23rd Psalm, calls to us saying, lie down in green pastures. Rest and let the land rest with you. When we rest from our motoring around, from our need for more and our consumption habits and instant gratification and comfort above all else, then the earth rests and the land can recover. Heal the land, heal the people, heal the people, heal the land, all is not lost. Keith Mills from our Earth Stewards team is going to come forward in just a moment to share some ways that you can help the land to rest in the coming year. And there's more information on that insert I'm sure you found on your bulletin and online if you're joining us at home. I hope that you take them up on that challenge because our land needs rest. And I believe that together and with God's help and blessing, we can heal the land and heal the people. Hallelujah and amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.